We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Breaking news, Terry Rozier, he'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good, Terry Rozier! All right, what's up, everyone, and welcome into another BuzzBeat, your Charlotte Hornets podcast on the Blue Wire Network. I am Richie Randall, and I just got through watching the Hornets uh, lose to the Celtics 119-93, uh, but I'm not going to be spending too much time talking about that game specifically, uh, but we'll be bringing on a guest today to talk about the Hornets season on the whole. I've got Div Bansali. He's better known as Div B or Stat Center on Twitter. Div, thanks for joining me today, and how's everything going with you? It's going great, Richie. Thanks for having me. Very good. So before we get into this, I, I kind of want to know a little bit about you and your fandom with the Hornets. I know that we were talking about this a little bit earlier, and you said that you were originally a Knicks fan. So t- tell me that story and how you went from a New York Knicks fan to now becoming a, a follower and a fan of the Hornets. Yeah, quite the upgrade considering the Knicks' current status, huh? Um, Yeah, so I grew up in New York, and I was a Knicks fan all throughout school and through college. Um, But honestly, I hated rooting for a team owned by James Dolan. Uh, And eventually, I just said, I I can't take another 40 years of this guy's ineptitude and just complete lack of caring for his fans. You know, if you've got a coach that you don't like or a star player that you don't like, they will be gone in a few years, but um, an owner can be around for decades and decades. Um, so I just finally gave up on that. And for a while, I was just a general NBA fanatic. And then about five years ago, I moved to North Carolina and I went to some Hornets games and I just got hooked. And, um, so I still tweet stats and trends about all 30 teams, but I definitely focus more on the Hornets than anybody else. All right, so the timing of this is, is pretty appropriate. Uh, we're going to talk about the offseason to start this off. Uh, obviously, Terry Rozier and, and Kimball Walker uh, played against each other tonight, uh, but uh, last season they were in opposite uniforms uh, with the Celtics and the Hornets. Uh, we, Brian, Spencer, myself, have talked about this a, a lot, uh, but wanted to get your thoughts on the departure uh, of Kimball Walker. Um, you know, I said this on a previous episode before, but, you know, to me, if the front office wasn't going to offer Kimball Walker what he was worth, uh, then they probably should have traded him when he had the opportunity to do so. And, and I get that the All-Star game could have complicated some things last season, but I don't think that's a, a great excuse to kind of have and give to your fans. But uh, what were your initial thoughts in this offseason when the Hornets 
decided to part ways with Kimball Walker. Yeah, I think uh, very similar to yours. I think my initial thought was just frustration at how it was handled. I mean, Kemba was an unrestricted unrestricted free agent, so I knew there was a real chance that he would end up elsewhere, and I was okay with that. Um, but a couple of outlets have reported that the Hornets never even offered him a four-year max, let alone the five-year super max or anything close to that. And, I mean, not offering the four-year max just blew my mind. If Mitch Kupchak and MJ they had to know that somebody else was going to give that four-year max. Um, so if you weren't willing to at least get there or somewhere above there, why would you hold on to him last year? And and I think you're right that the the All-Star game may have been uh, may have been a part of that over over the past couple of years. And then uh, what sort of compounded things for me was in Kupchak's, um I think it was a season-opening press conference. Um, <laughs> I know where you're going that he was, Yeah, he said that he was, and the exact word was blindsided when Kemba earned all NBA and, and became eligible for the Supermax. And I mean, I'm just a fan with an internet connection and I sure wasn't blindsided by that. Like I knew he very well might be eligible for the Supermax. So that was a real foot in the mouth moment uh, for me. Um, I've, I've got Lakers friends who had warned me that um, Kupchak is really bad at press conferences. So I, I tried to sort of keep an open mind past that. But just the process behind that seemed, um, seemed really weird to me. And I, I wasn't sure you know, a year ago right now, what did they, what did they think they were going to accomplish there? So I guess my follow-up question to you is now that Kimba Walker, uh, you know, decided to go with the Boston Celtics, uh, the Hornets made a trade, a sign and trade to acquire Rozier. You know, what are your thoughts on, on not now, but I guess back in the, in the summer when we decided to, uh, you know, sign and trade for Terry Rozier for those three years, I believe it was $54 million. Yeah. Um, as far as Rozier, I definitely wasn't thrilled about the dollar amount, and I was hoping that if they were going to spend at that level for a guard, they would have tried to keep Jeremy Lamb and bring in a cheaper point guard option. But as far as the player itself, I, I felt okay about Terry. Um, not great, but uh, but I definitely felt intrigued. The two things that I felt he really brought was, number one, he shot 37% on threes over the past two years on a pretty high volume. Uh, and number two, he didn't turn the ball over much at all. And that was true both when he played with Kyrie Irving and when he played without as well. So I felt like whether he was a primary or secondary ball handler, he wasn't going to turn it over and, and put our defense in a bad situation. And he could shoot standstill threes. So I felt like that was a pretty good start. Now, could he be efficient finishing at the rim and could he create enough for others? It was hard to say, at least for me, because he wasn't great at either of those things, at least consistently in his Celtics career. But, you know, I think overall, I just kind of felt like if you're going to take a risk on a guy, I'm at least happy that it was for a 25 year old and not a 29 or 31 year old or something. That's a good point. I mean, I think I wasn't too high on the sign and trade for Rozier either. I mean, it was partially because of the salary, but uh, I think I probably was a little bit lower on him than maybe you were. I mean, he does offer, like you said, he, he was a low turnover point guard. Uh, this year it's kind of changed a little bit because he's seeing the ball a whole lot more. Uh, he was very good on the defensive side. He's a good rebounder uh, for a guard, but he, he never shot the ball over 40% uh, in his mm -hmm. career. And outside of that playoff run in uh, 2018, there really hasn't been that much promise. But again, he is young. He's 25 years old, and, and he's actually turned out better than I would have expected this season. And like you mentioned, he's not that great of a finisher around the rim, but he actually has, you know, you mentioned the three-point stats, but he, he's improved his three-point shooting even mm -hmm. on more attempts. And, and like I said, he continues to be a good rebounder and a defender, pesky defender, 
And I think a lot of this has happened since he's moved to that off-ball situation when uh, Devontae Graham came in and started, I believe it was the 11th game of the season. So, you know, now that we've we've acquired Rozier in the offseason, what were your expectations for the Hornets as they headed into this season? Because I, I think most fans and, and watchers of this team have noticed that this team has exceeded expectations so far. But what were your expectations heading into this season? Yeah, I um, I tweeted at the beginning of the season that um, if you looked at a composite of, I think I looked at like eight different uh, places online and um, and what they were predicting, um, uh, you know, between ESPN and a bunch of other places. And we basically came in right between 29th and 30th in terms of expectations coming into the season. Um, and, and that's pretty much where Vegas had us as well. Um at the beginning of the season, I expected the Hornets to be about the fifth worst team in the NBA. Um, so I was a little bit more optimistic than most of the national predictions had us. I think specifically I predicted Charlotte would be about 18th or 19th in defensive efficiency and dead last in offense. So, so far at least, I was wildly wrong about both of those specifics, but came out pretty close uh, overall. Now, in terms of record right now, I think coming into today, we were the 18th best uh, record in the NBA. Um, that'll go down a little bit possibly tonight. In terms of point differential, I think right now we're sixth worst. Um, and a lot of times, as you know, early in the season, that can be a pretty good predictor of the future as well, in addition to the record. So, you know, I, I my expectations were probably a little bit higher than the national folks expected, um, but probably a little bit lower than where our record is right now. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely higher than I had them. I uh, expected them to win, you know, 23 to 25 games and be in that bottom two or three in the East. Uh, but we've exceeded those expectations. And I think you got to give a lot of credit to James Borrego and just the development of the young players with Devontae Graham, you know, P.J. Washington coming in his rookie season. Uh, although he's injured right now, he, he's making an impact. And, uh, you know, you add that to Marvin and Zeller and their veteran presence, and you have a team that's hovering around the eighth place uh, in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I don't think that's going to last uh, because, you know, some of the numbers with the offensive and defensive efficiency side uh, are on the low end here. So that last time I checked, uh, here are some of the team stats for the Hornets. Uh, offensive scoring 1.08 points per possession. That's 22nd uh, in the league. Defense is allowing 1.14 points per possession, which is 26th in the league uh, with a point differential of negative six. Some other notes on this team, they uh, they turn the ball over at, at a pretty high rate uh, with a turnover percentage of 15.7, and they just allow too many offensive rebounds. And we saw that again tonight against the Boston Celtics. Um, you know, a lot of this is, you know, these unfavorable stats that I just kind of threw out at you, Div, there. But what would you say has been the most pleasant surprise with this team? And obviously not Devontae Graham. I just want you to give me like a team stat or a team trend. I think the obvious answer would be Devontae Graham. But just overall with this team, what is what has been the most surprising thing on the good end here? Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned Borrego because I think he's done a really strong job this year in two areas that I think really matter, especially for a young team like this. Um, number one, He's established a much clearer offensive identity. Um, you know, the offense the last few years had been so dictated by Kemba, and I had no idea what to expect in terms of style or sort of philosophy this year. 
So if we think of the modern NBA as being threes and layups at the rim, the Hornets have really checked off that box this year. Um, 38% of their field goal attempts are at the rim. That's the Hornets' highest rate in seven years. And they're taking another 38% from three-point line, which is the highest rate they've ever had in their history. And so for a team that doesn't have that many guys with a great floater or great touch on mid-range shots, um, I think that shot profile makes a lot of sense. And to be able to do that while playing at a pretty slow pace, I think they were the third slowest or fourth slowest pace coming into today, um, I think is really impressive because you're counting on the half-court offensive identity to sort of carry that. And and so far, I think that's, that's largely um, happened. And then the second thing, you mentioned player development. I mean, Borrego was brought in as a player development coach, and I think he and his staff have really delivered so far this year on that end. Um, three of the top four guys in minutes played are either rookies or second-year guys. And obviously, as you mentioned, PJ and Devante in particular have really stepped in and exceeded expectations. And, you know, even a guy like Cody Martin, um, you know, how many rookies drafted, I think he was 36th overall, become real contributors their first year? Um, you know, I guess it's like one in five, probably even lower than that. But what I like is that it seems like Borrego has really stressed to him and to PJ here are the specific things that you need to do in order to earn playing time. And you keep it simple, you focus on those things, and we'll let you learn from your mistakes. And so that approach, uh, I think, has been really, really encouraging. Those are the exact notes that I had in terms of the, the, the pleasant surprise was just the shot profile and the style of play and, and giving credit to Borrego for recognizing that you know the NBA – uh, is a league that's driven by getting to the rim and shooting from behind the arc. And you, you have players like Zeller and Biz getting to the rim, but you also have players like Malik Monk, you know, a guard that, that mm -hmm. is aggressive in attacking the rim. And, and in shooting from behind the arc, you got players like Rozier and P.J. Washington and Devontae, obviously. And like you mentioned, they're sixth in the NBA when it comes to their percentage of field goal attempts uh, taken behind the arc. I think Borrego recognizes this, like the spots on the floor that they have to hunt on the offensive end and Charlotte is doing that. Now, it hasn't totally led to complete success because Charlotte hasn't been making a ton of shots, especially you know at the rim and inside the three-point arc. But I like the idea, and I think it'll pay off in the long end in developing these young talent and these players. Um, and obviously, in future seasons, when we get those better players within the system, I think it'll pay off in the end. So that, that's obviously going to be um, something to kind of look forward to. And, and I agree that that's exactly what I had written down for the pleasant surprise. Let's let's turn this around on, on the negative end here. What is your biggest disappointment, whether it is a team trend or a player for this season so far? Yeah, I'll stay um, I'll, I'll stay focused at, at the team level. I, I, I just feel like the Hornets play with such a lack of force and emphasis on defense. I mean, when Clifford was was coaching, you knew what to expect on defense, right? It was this safety first approach where you don't foul, you don't allow offensive rebounds mm -hmm. and you force mid rangers. And this season, I mean, we're currently bottom five in defensive rebounding. And I believe over the past month, we're either 29th or 30th. Um, we allow dribble penetration. Uh, and kind of related to that, we're giving up the most assist per game in the NBA. So once the first guy gets into a favorable position for the for the opponent, we're just having a really hard time sort of, uh, sort of getting back in and, and reacting to that. Now, part of that is with Rozier and Graham playing together so much more than, than I expected, um, and, and then you've got really young guys at forward as well, you're going to have breakdowns. But those guys are likely to continue to get a lot of runs. So I, I just need to see more of a plan for how do you maintain discipline and a little bit more force on defense. I have a question for you about that because I, I, 
I agree with what you're saying, but how much of it is personnel versus a style or versus the coaching in that sense? Because, you know, you look at our team besides, you know, Kid Gilchrist or, or Cody Martin, there's not a lot of players, Marvin Williams, there's not a lot of players that can defend, uh, whether it's out on the perimeter or down low. So is it a personnel issue or or is there something more to it? Yeah, I think... I think we are definitely limited by personnel, especially in the backcourt. I think the sort of swing guy for me is Miles Bridges, and I've just been really disappointed by how unaware he seems so often on on defense. I mean, and I saw those things last year as well, but they were forgivable. He was a rookie. He was doing a lot of interesting things on offense, and, you know, I was totally willing to overlook it. Um, But I think if Miles was putting his physical tools – into use in a really strong way, I, I think the the floor of this defense would raise so much. Maybe the ceiling wouldn't go up that much because you don't have you know a, a defensive player of the year type of guy at center, and and you don't have an all defense guy at, at guard either. Um, it, you know, so there would still be a cap, but I, I think there would be a much higher level of confidence. Um, but there are plays where you know Bridges is sort of the first line that falls, um, and then someone else is covering up for it. And three seconds later, there's an easy shot at the rim or completely open wing three-pointer. So, you know, he's the one guy that I look at and say, the physical tools are there, but, you know, is he going to put it together? I mean, in in my opinion, and tell me if you feel differently, I don't think he's even close right now in terms of intuition and sort of awareness. But if he could just get to okay in terms of that, it would lift the whole defense so much. Agree. I mean, I think we've talked about this a lot on on BuzzBeat. I feel like I harp on it a little bit too much, but yeah, Miles Bridges, whether it's on ball or off ball, uh, he's just not with it on the defensive end. And he, and like you mentioned, he has all the athletic tools to be that type of player on that end. But the mental aspect and getting in a defensive stance and being aware of where the ball is, where the man is, it just hasn't clicked with him yet. And, and you know, like you said, he's only two years into this league, so maybe you can forgive it a little bit, but there's like no signs of any kind of improvement from year one to year two. So you're wondering if that improvement is going to continue for two or three years or four years down the road. Um, You know, he's obviously an awesome athletic specimen. You know, he can get up off the court, run the court, but on the defensive side of the ball where we are, you know, already lacking on that end, he just makes it uh, 10 times worse when he's on the court. Another player that I kind of want to get your thoughts on. And to me, he has been, my biggest disappointment uh, is Dwayne Bacon. I mean, he was a really good player to finish the season last year, uh, converting at the rim, converting from deep. Uh, those efficiency numbers were obviously pretty high, but uh, I expected those to drop a little. Uh, I actually had a conversation with uh, BG or, or Spencer. I can't remember which one it was, but uh, he was in the conversation for me for the leading score this season. Um, and that clearly has, you know, has been far from the truth. Uh, he, he's not really in the rotation anymore with the Charlotte Hornets. He settles a little bit too much for the mid-range shot um, and just really isn't shooting the ball efficiently at the rim or from behind the arc, and that's why Borrego has taken him out of the, uh, the rotation. I think last season he definitely benefited from playing with Kimba Walker, just as anyone would, but you know, now that the ball is in his hands more, and we saw that early in the season, uh, it wasn't working as well as... You know, I thought it would. So this season, as good as Devontae has been, you know, some of these young players have been, it just hasn't been the same for Dwayne Bacon. And his success last season has not carried over. So any thoughts on on the disappointing start for Dwayne Bacon so far? 
I, if you told me at the beginning of the season that Bridges and Bacon would be playing at the level they are, I would have figured we'd be at like three wins right now. Um, because <laughs> I, I saw those two as sort of the key components this year. You know, I figured PJ would probably contribute in year two and beyond, and, and Malik would grow into more of a rotation player and probably sixth man. But, um, you know, I really felt like Bridges and Bacon were going to be the two guys who really had the chance to to bring us a little bit closer to average. Um, I, it's been astonishing to to look at Bacon this year. Um, he's a, what, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, wing. And one of the things that really impressed me last year is I felt like he could get the shots he wanted to. I felt like his... Um, you know, his shooting percentages, which all came in, you know, above average uh, for his position, really came through not because he was um, incredibly uh, athletic or incredibly skilled, but he got to the right places and he knew what he was capable of and uh, and just really fed off of Kemba and, and off of Tony Parker as well. Um, you know, just it, it really fit in terms of his role. And you know, this year, his usage has gone way up in the limited minutes he's had. I think he's probably up over 21% uh, at this point. Um, so an above average usage, and he just can't make anything. And and he's bringing down the entire offense uh, when when he's um, when he's on the court. So uh, last I checked, the effective field goal percentage for the Hornets when he was on the court was something like 47.5%, um, which, you know, if your whole team was shooting that, you're you're going to lose just about every game. So um, <laughs> just every time he comes into the game, it, it looks like open shots, no longer open shots, and opponents now don't respect him at all. Um, you know, I, I almost feel like we're playing four and five when, when he's out there. So I, I don't know how much of it is confidence with him. I don't know if there's a physical thing happening, but he just looks like a completely different offensive player than he did last year. Yeah, it could be a little bit of a confidence uh, because of the, the start that he had to this season and he's not seeing a whole lot of court time as we speak. And I don't know. I don't know what it is with, with Dwayne Bacon, but uh, I think he really, really did benefit from playing with Kimball Walker last season uh, and being that secondary or third option. Uh, you put the ball in his hands and you let him go to work. Uh, he's not going to be as efficient. So one player that has been really, really efficient this season, uh, Devontae Graham, breakout season in the conversation for the most improved player. I would say either him or, or Bam Adebayo are going to be that, that player that wins that award. Um, I've had plenty of thoughts on Devonte Graham uh, on this podcast. So I'm just going to sit back and I just will listen to you in terms of like, what are your thoughts on him and, and the jump that he has made uh, in his sophomore season? It's been unbelievable. Uh, it, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of players make a big jump in their second year, but typically you'll see some of the hallmarks during the first year. You'll see sort of those glimpses of the player they could become, but they don't do it consistently enough or they don't know how to, um, respond to a counter. So, you know, when the defense shuts down option one, what do you do after that? And then in season two, they become more comfortable with both of those things. With Devante, he just, to me, looks like a completely different player. I mean, the three-pointers off the dribble, obviously, is, I, I think, the first thing that everyone focuses on, and rightfully so. Um, but also, he has been seeing the court so well. He passes with anticipation instead of a split second too late, which a lot of young point guards tend to do. Um, I love the way that he changes speeds. Um, you know, so instead of always trying to go in, in, you know, sort of a hundred miles an hour, he is incredibly shifty. And I think that makes his fifth gear work so much better. Um, he's been willing to take and make big shots, uh, which is why the Hornets have at least until recently been really solid in crunch time offense. 
Um, and, you know, the last thing I'd say about Devontae is he's allowed Terry to spot up off ball a lot more than I expected he'd be able to. Um, and Terry's been just deadly at that this year. Now, I think in terms of Devontae's development moving forward, he's going to need to continue to get more comfortable with how they're attacking his high screen game now. Um, he's going to see more blitzes and um, and more hard hedges and opponents are being more physical with him off ball as well. You know, I think all those things are sort of to be expected. Um, so we'll see how we how we respond to that. But in terms of what he's done so far, I I love everything. It's been fantastic. Yeah, you're definitely seeing teams uh, adjust their game plan for Devontae Graham. It's been frustrating for, you know, the Hornets fans and Devontae Graham as well. And in the game against the Utah Jazz a couple nights ago, uh, the Jazz did not blitz that often. But was mm-hmm. what was interesting to me. They didn't. Hornets didn't run a lot of high pick and rolls. They they weren't using Graham in the way that they normally do. And I felt like if they did, they could kind of you know get Gobert dropping a little bit, and he can pull up for threes a whole lot more. But uh, yeah, Devontae Graham's season. Uh, you know, I've said it enough on this podcast, and everything that you just said. I mean, you know, the pull up three, uh, his passing ability. He passes teammates open, like you said. He's not that split second late. He he is making a teammate you know, catch the ball in stride as they're going to the rim or he's passing to someone out in the corner. You know, it, it happens right when it needs to happen. Um, another player uh, that's having a, a very strong season, um, a veteran, Marvin Williams, veteran presence on this team, good teammate, good team defender, uh, he's unselfish dude um, on the offensive end and a good communicator on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, he would be a huge help to a playoff team. Uh, any predictions as to whether or not the Hornets keep him or trade him? And if they do trade him, what possibly uh, do you could see, you know, be the return for Marvin Williams? Yeah, I think um, to me, it totally depends on on the quality of the deal. And, and I think that's probably how the Hornets are approaching it as well. Um, at the beginning of the season, I would have said it's unlikely that there's going to be a first rounder on the table for for Marvin, even a low one. I think at this point, there's probably a pretty good chance that there will be. And if there is a first rounder on the table, a, a real first rounder, not a, you know, converts to two seconds if it doesn't convert in one year. Um, if it's a real first rounder, I, I would probably take that. Um, I think a rebuilding team needs every crack at the apple that it can get in terms right. of young players. Um, and the Hornets have done really well in terms of drafting outside of the top 10 um, recently. So, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to get another chance at that. But you know, on the other hand, man, Marvin means so much more to this team than just his stats, which, as you pointed out, have been really good this year. Um, he's the unquestioned leader right now. He's a mentor to our two young forwards. And I think Miles and PJ are the two most important guys currently on this roster in terms of their future development. You know, where they get to in two years, four years, six years is going to have probably the biggest impact in terms of where this team gets to. Um, so if Marvin's impacting those guys positively as much as I hear that he is and as much as I suspect he is, it, it really makes me wonder whether it's worth losing that, you know, for them to get a, a relatively low pick. If there was any chance of getting a lottery pick, to me, that's a much easier decision. But, you know, if we're looking at something significantly out of the lottery, it's it, it's hard for me to say yes to that. Maybe at some point you just have to, but... Um, you, you know, with the way he's playing, there's there's no contender that I think isn't looking at him, at least at this right. point, um, because almost everyone can use a versatile, you know, swing four or five who can hit three pointers and, and has a really high IQ. Um, so 
I think he's going to be in demand. Um, I think that's going to raise uh, people's bids a little bit. You know, whether it gets to the point where I'm I'm comfortable with Mitch Kupchak pulling the trigger on it, you know, it just sort of depends on how how good it gets. I think part of the issue, obviously, is, is the matching of the salary. So I think the draft pick is, is going to be the, the sweetener in this pick. It's going to be the thing that entices the Hornets. But uh, whatever salary comes back, whether it's for one more extra year or two more extra years, that's where it's going to get you to think a little bit more. But I always say, you know, with this team, and you mentioned it too, you need every asset that you can get. And with Marvin's deal expiring this season and the Hornets – you know, not looking like they're going to make the playoffs, although they're hovering around that eighth seed like they always seem to do. Uh, I, I think you got to take a crack, uh, you know, at, at at a chance for a late, late first round pick or or an early second round pick. But, you know, obviously, if it's going to be going to a contender or a playoff team, it very well could be a late first round pick. And I think mm-hmm. you'd be a big help to any playoff team, regardless if if power forward is a position of need or not. Last question that I would like to get to here. Uh, as we speak today, the Hornets are in the ninth place in the Eastern Conference at 13 and 20, 14 and a half games back from the Milwaukee Bucks. But the question is, do you think that they're going to hover around this eight spot all season, or do you think they're going to drop in the standing? So the teams that are below the Hornets right now, we have the Chicago Bulls, the Detroit Pistons, who the Hornets have, I think, beat three times this season. Uh, we mm-hmm. have the Wizards, the Cavs, the Knicks, and the Hawks. So, I mean... I think most fans would like to see the Hornets drop. I think, you know, getting higher in that lottery uh, position to draft a better player. Uh, but some of those teams below us, like, you know, the Cavaliers, the Knicks, the Hawks, uh, the Bulls to a certain extent, I just, it's it's hard for me to fathom with the way that the Hornets are playing this season that they drop below them. But who knows? I mean, what, what are your thoughts there in terms of where they might rank by the season's end? Yeah, I checked the uh, schedule before we got on, and unfortunately, we do not have 12 more games against the Pistons this year, <laughs> uh, which would really make a difference. Um, right now, I've got the Hornets finishing 11th, um, and I know that might sound low given that they were 8th coming into today, um, but you know, 8-10 to 10 is, is really close right now. Um, and the Hornets have played the fourth easiest schedule in the NBA so far. That's going to get a little bit tougher. That's a good point. And they already have eight losses by 15 or more points, uh, which is a, a pretty concerning um, a pretty concerning thing to me. When when the shots aren't falling from the guards, it's really tough for, for the Hornets to win. Um, my guess is the rest of the season, the offense drops a bit and the defense stays about the same, maybe goes up uh, a little bit. I can't see us going below 12th for exactly the reason you said. I, I think the bottom the bottom three in the East, and you could even really say the bottom four, are right. so bad. Um, that And we've already got wins locked in uh, over them, right? So um, those are already in the bank. So, um, so I think 11th or 12th is as low as it could really get. And, and I think right now I'd probably pick either 10th or 11th. Yeah, I mean, those bottom three teams in the East, I just can't see the Hornets getting below the Cavs, the Knicks, and the Hawks. I mean, before the yeah. season, before the season, that conversation uh, would have been a reasonable one. But right now, I just can't see that happening. Uh, I lied to you. This is this is actually the last question. So Milwaukee Bucks, top team in the East for me. I think most people can agree. I watched them Thursday night against the Lakers, and they just... They were in control, uh, and and you know from start to finish. I think the the final score was a little bit misleading. Uh, Giannis was hitting his threes, and and when that team, you know, hits hits threes, and when he hits the threes, you know, it's very 
very tough team to defend. And then on the opposite side, the Milwaukee Bucks are are very very good defensively. They got a lot of length. Uh, you get past the you know initial defender, but uh, they they funnel you into more length and more defenders. They, they are a very very difficult team to beat, and I think they are pretty much the odds on favorite to to come out of the East. But my question to you is, uh, we just played the Boston Celtics tonight, uh, and they're actually ranked second right now in the East. Who do you think is the second best team in the East? Or maybe not the second best team. Who do you think will be the second best uh, team when it comes to the playoffs? Like, you know, 76ers right now are are in the sixth place of the East. But to me, uh, they could be a team that can compete with the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't think they'll beat the Bucks in a series. But, uh, you know, just some of the standings right now with the Celtics at number two, with the Heat at number three, uh, the Toronto Raptors at number four. You know, who, who do you think is the second best team in the East or at least gives the Milwaukee Bucks the the toughest chance uh, to kind of win a series there? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, playoffs specifically because in the regular season, I do think the Celtics will end up with the number two seed. Um, I think they're just built for uh, regular season right. excellence. Um, they don't turn the ball over. They force a ton of turnovers. And I think, you know, a team coming in to, to play them one time, not knowing what they're up against, um, they're just a really, really difficult matchup. They're just a very professional team. But I do think in the playoffs, um, they can be figured out. I think if you play them over and over again, it, they just, I don't know that they've got a plan B. I don't know that they've got another sort of level to get to. I think for right now, I'm still going to count on the Sixers figuring that out. Um, I, I know they look so disjointed right now. Um, it, Sixers fans seem to want to pull their hair out about Ben Simmons every other game. And, and I can understand, you know, why he just looks so passive in half court offense. I've got to figure over the next 45 games, um, they're going to figure this out. There, There is going to be, you know, something that comes into place on offense there. And defensively, I, I mean, in a seven game series, I just think they're going to get sharper and sharper. Like they're not going to lose their size. They're not going to lose their, their instincts. Um, and I, I just think they're going to become impossible for most teams to score uh, again. So I, I would favor the Bucks over them right now slightly, but yeah. I, I still think the Sixers can, can take it to them. Yeah, and I think, like you said, Boston Celtics might be a regular season team, but if you were to ask me right now in a series between the 76ers and the Celtics, seven games, I think I have to lean. I think I have to lean 76ers just because of their length uh, that they have there. Div, before we go, let everyone know where they can find you on Twitter. Yep. Uh, I'm at StatCenter, S-T-A-T-C-E-N-T-E-R. And uh, I'm tweeting all the time about the Hornets and about the NBA in general. So would, uh, would love to see you guys out there. All right, so let's wrap here. Uh, The Hornets don't play until Friday uh, when they take on the Thunder in Charlotte, and then they fly out to Memphis for a game against the Grizzlies on Sunday. Thanks again, guys, for tuning in to another Buzz Beat. As always, we would appreciate a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast, and we hope you all have a happy holiday and Merry Christmas, and we will see you guys next time.